I could sing about the Lord all day long. Let's continue to worship him by reading scripture. Mark chapter 15, verses 42 through 16. Eight will be our passage this morning. Uh, the Bible is God speaking. And so when you read and listen to the Bible, you hear from the Lord. And here's the record of what he's done, beginning in verse 42 of Mark 15. When evening had come, since it was the day of preparation, that is the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, a respected member of the council, who was also himself looking for the kingdom of God, took courage and went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Pilate was surprised to hear that he should have already died, and summoning the centurion, he asked him whether he was already dead. And when he learned from the centurion that he was dead, he granted the corpse to Joseph. Joseph bought a a linen shroud and taking him down, wrapped him in the linen shroud, laid him in a tomb and that that had been cut out of the rock. And he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. When the Sabbath was passed. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Salome, bought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb and they were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone for they were afraid. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the record of scripture. Now we ask for help from your spirit in giving us the relevance of the record for right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Of course, you may be seated. I just want to look at you for a moment. I'm so thankful that this moment in morning is a little bit different than last Easter. I can remember last Easter standing in this room and it'd be a little bit different. So I'm so thankful for God and his goodness. And that we get to worship the Lord together here in person and those joining you, uh, us on the, on the stream. I'm just so thankful. Jesus said, if we're going to be thankful for anything, he told his disciples, be thankful that your names are written in the Lamb's book of life. So that is what I am most thankful for this morning. I, w- I want to begin with an illustration and I want to put a picture on the screen that is when you see it, it's not going to make a lot of sense. And so there's a picture Uh, That I took yesterday, and I'm a terrible photographer, as has already been pointed out by anyone who's seen this picture previously. You can see me taking the picture on the reflection of my bumper there. So so bad job by me. Uh, But that's a picture of my trash can beside my truck. And so here's my illustration. Can you imagine if you went to my house and were standing in my driveway and saw me come out of the house with a bag of trash 
And I opened the door to my truck and I put the trash in the truck and closed the door. You'd say that was strange. But then after that, I take the lid of the trash can and open it. And then I get in the trash can and I've got a broomstick with me and I start to effort my way up the driveway. And you say, where are you going? And I say, I'm going to work. How many of you would be perplexed by what you just saw? So that's really, really strange. You're using your truck as a trash can and using your trash can as a truck. Have you lost your mind? And the answer to that would be yes. We've all lost our minds because spiritually speaking, what would really lead to progress and advancement in life, we discard. And the things in life that we really should throw out, the things in life that we really should discard are the very things that we look to for progress and advancement. We have mistaken the truck in the trash can when it comes to eternal and spiritual things. We see that here in this passage, and as we walk through it, you'll see that there are things that people have to discard, and then there are things that they have to hold so closely to. And I want you to know just big picture, it's how life works. Apart from Jesus, you'll always cling to things you should discard, and you'll discard things that are actually very precious. Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Well, we can take that picture down, say goodbye to the reflection there in the bumper, and we'll keep going. We've got two key words as we walk through this passage. The words are the record and the relevance. So we'll walk through and just see what the record says, and then having observed the record, I'll tell you, by God's grace, hopefully, the relevance to your life. Let's start with this record of a wealthy man named Joseph of Arimathea. The description of him is he's a respected member of the council. Now that council is the Sanhedrin. They're sort of the religious leaders. There's a lot of prestige and power that goes with being a member of the council. And it says this man, he's not only a member of the council, uh, the gospel of Matthew tells us in his record that he's a wealthy man. And it says he was also himself looking for the kingdom of God. Notice the next phrase, took courage and went to Pilate and asked for the body of the Lord Jesus. So just hear the record. Joseph, respected member of the council. That means his identity is when he walks in a room, those who see him recognize him as a man of influence and respect. Those are things that we all want, aren't they? I mean, these are things that we want to be well thought of and and respected. And Joseph has it, but for all that respect, he's still looking for something. See, tragically, what might happen in your life is you might get exactly what you're looking for. And then having obtained it, you might say, is this all there was to this? So don't be deceived. You too look for the kingdom of God. And then we get this two-word phrase. He took courage and went to Pilate and asked for the body of the Lord Jesus. So why did Joseph need to take courage to go to Pilate and ask for the body of the Lord Jesus? Here's why Joseph needed to take courage. He needed to take courage because he was a respected member of God the council. And he knows as soon as I do this, I'm probably going to lose what? A whole lot of respect from the members 
of the council. This council, by and large, are those who have desired for Jesus to be crucified. And now Joseph has to step out from the council to go to Pilate and ask for the body of Jesus. So here's the relevance. If you are going to identify in your life with the crucified Christ, you're going to need courage. And if you've got something in you that's hopeful that you can be identified with the crucified Christ and be respected in the world, well, you need to let that go. You need to say goodbye. You need to say you're never going to get the approval and esteem. What's at stake here is will Joseph live under the fear of God or will he live under the fear of other people? And man, that's relevant for our life, isn't it? It is. We all, by our nature, long for the approval of other people. As soon as Joseph does this, he'll lose status. He'll lose standing. He might very well lose a large portion of his his wealth. But can you also take a moment and think of what he will gain in doing so? Because his looking for the kingdom of God and searching for it is over. It's there. Christ is the king. I love this passage because it also shows us two very unlikely people who come together over the crucified Christ. This reference to the centurion, uh, it says Pilate was surprised to hear that he had already died and summoning the centurion. Who's the centurion? Look back with me in uh, verse 39 of chapter 15. When the centurion who stood facing Jesus as he was being crucified saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, truly this man was the son of God. That's the centurion that now Pilate asked to, to speak to. And when he learned from the centurion that he was dead, he granted the corpse to Joseph. Now let's think about it for a moment. You're standing in in this room. Here's Pilate, here's Joseph, and here's the centurion. And can you look at that and see that in one of those three ways is how the world tells you to get life, either political power like Pilate, military might like the centurion, and religious prestige like Joseph. And yet all of them here, where's the real power? It's in the crucified actually the only place that you will ever find life and purpose (laughs) and joy. And this Joseph, this wealthy member of the Sanhedrin and the centurion, in every way, in a manner of speaking, they were conditioned to understand themselves as rivals and enemies. But do you know what the crucified Christ will allow? He allows for the enemies who have stood on opposite sides to come together because they both need Christ to be crucified for their sins. Friends, I think this is a glorious picture of what the church should be. That we come together on the basis of the one who's been crucified for us. Joseph cannot maintain honor, esteem, respect, or admiration from the surrounding world and identify with Jesus. In doing this, those who've long respected him will think he's foolish and weak. 
what others roll their eyes at, Joseph and the Roman centurion are bowing their knee to. I love what Jim Elliott says. He says, he's no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. The council, for all its prestige, in that moment was 40, 40 years away from being no more. And, and even the Roman army that this centurion has, all, uh, has this significant position, and for all its power, has likewise faded. But the crucified Christ has not and will not. Now, it's also relevant for us to see that caring for the broken body of the Lord Jesus is a greater privilege than whatever that respected counsel could offer. I hope you view life this way. I hope you don't think that the crowning achievements offered by the world are more to be desired than humbly serving Jesus. I mean, when you look at life, I mean, really, when you look at life, what do you count as a privilege? Joseph is now doing something that the members of the council would see as far beneath them. But the things that the world does not esteem are the things that as followers of Jesus, we value and treasure and say, that's where I'm going to invest my time in. One of the great filters for how you use your time should be this. As I spend the next 30 minutes or an hour or whatever time might be allotted, ask myself this. What does this have to do with the crucified Christ? Your time at work has a lot to do with the crucified Christ. Amen. Of course, the time here in the sanctuaries, we're together, has a lot to do with the crucified Christ. As you're raising children, it has a lot to do with the crucified Christ. As a married couple, a lot to do with crucified Christ. Loving your neighbor, you spend your time serving the crucified Christ. I also just want to note, you might have picked up on this. Speaking of the record, Mark gives a whole lot of specific names. Look at verse 21. As they compelled a passerby, Simon of Cyrene from the surrounding country, or or who was coming in from the country, the father of Alexander and and Rufus. And then look at verse 40. There were women, and they give the names. Uh, Mary was apparently a pretty popular name back then. Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and so on. And, And then verse 43 Um, we get Joseph. Why all these specific names? Because when Mark originally wrote this, he said, you go talk to him. Real people were there. Go talk to Alexander and Rufus. They'll tell you what their dad did. These are real events that happened in the real world. So does your real life bear the relevance of this record? Relevance, just to state it again. Lay aside the desire for the world's approval and esteem and humbly serve the crucified Christ. Let's keep going on the record. Uh, Next part of the record tells us that there is a group of faithful women who go to the tomb to care for the body of the Lord Jesus. At the end of verse 15, some among these women saw where they laid the the body. uh, So they knew where they were going on the Resurrection day, so verse 1 of chapter 16, when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, Salome, bought spices so that they might go and anoint him. Very early, first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb and they were saying to one another, who's going to roll the stone away from the tomb? What a great group of faithful ladies, right? I mean, this is pretty true to life, isn't it? I mean... The ladies hang in there. Ladies remain faithful. 
often when all the men have fled, you can still find some women who are being faithful. It's pretty true to life, isn't it? And as they go to the tomb, their plan is to honor Jesus, but hang with me, by preparing him for permanent burial. So yes, they're faithful. Yes, they're diligent. Yes, they're hardworking. But all of their effort and time is actually misdirected. On the way there, the the subject of their conversation is about the stone that needs to be rolled away. That's what they're talking about. Man, we've got the stuff, but we get there, who's going to roll the stone away? So here's relevance for your life. And you've heard this before, but just understand it again. Most of the things you worry about, you ain't got to worry about. God's going to go before you. Most of the things, and I found that true in my life. 98% of the things I'm worrying about, oh, if this happens, when this happens, it doesn't ever even happen. And God works in a way that I could not have anticipated. Spend most of my time analyzing, discussing, strategizing over problems God's going to handle far beyond my scope anyway, right? But what the record does tell us is they were not expecting a resurrection. Even though Jesus had told them again and again, on the third day, I will rise. So they bring burial spices, not balloons, right? They're faithful, yes. Are they diligent? Yes. Are they hardworking? Yes, 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 and yes. But ultimately, all of their effort is on behalf of a Jesus who was dead and not alive. Does this have relevance for the church? Absolutely, because we can get caught in this trap and be faithful, diligent, hardworking, show up when nobody else shows up. But ultimately, our efforts are sort of self-focused, self-centered, and not either of the Lord or unto the Lord. Is there resurrection power at work in your serving of Jesus? If not, I can guarantee you this, you're going to burn out, give up, throw in the towel, and quit. Because burial spice work gets old pretty fast. And you don't want to know why? Because it's dead. Mark's record tells us when they arrived at the tomb, there are progressive steps that happen that move from Confusion to surprise to flat out alarm, right? So it says, looking up, they saw the stone had been rolled back. Well, that was surprising. We were worried about how we were going to handle this. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side. Well, that's pretty shocking too. Ever walked in a room and somebody was sitting there and you didn't expect it? I started trying to scare my children. I regret it because they're fighting back now. (laughs) I I don't think the angels say, But it was alarming. He said to them, do not be alarmed. Don't you love that? Every time someone comes from heaven to earth and appears in glory, there's alarm. And they always have to say, no, 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 don't be alarmed. Well, there's some things you should be alarmed about, by the way. And then some things we shouldn't be. We get that confused too. And I want you to pay attention to the fact that they didn't figure out what had happened on their own. There's not a moment where Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, Salome, 
There's never a moment that any one of them say, wait, 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 wait. I know what has happened here. Remember, Jesus told us. He's alive. That's, That's not what happens. They have to be told what happens. They don't walk in, see the angel, see there's no body, and conclude, well, he's been raised for our justification. This demonstrates that Jesus has paid our sin debt in full. The Father has vindicated him and the spotless Lamb of God who willingly took our guilt and shame, laid down his life, and has risen gloriously and triumphantly over sin, death, and the grave forevermore. Now that had happened, but they didn't figure it out. That's not their response at all. What's their response? They're so scared and alarmed they can't say anything. And, 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 and they went out and fled from the tomb for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone for they were afraid. I don't know if this is true in your Bible. It's true in my Bible. At the end of verse 8, I got a little note. Do you have a little note? My little note says some of the earliest manuscripts do not include verses 9 through 20. Pretty good evidence that when Mark wrote his gospel, he actually ended in verse number eight. And the reason it's interesting is if he ended in verse eight, that seems like a strange way to end, doesn't it? Confused, terrified, and silent. We've been studying through the gospel of Mark and He moves action pretty quickly. The most commonly used word in Mark's gospel is immediately. If he were directing a movie, it would go really, really, the the action would be quick. And here's the tension. Is you'd say, if that's where it ends, that's where it shouldn't end. Anybody feel that way? I mean, it's, it's, um, it's incompatible that Jesus should be risen and his followers should be silent. And that's the point. Doesn't it doesn't compute? So Mark kind of leaves you there with some tension, doesn't he? If he's alive, they ought not to be silent. You ready for some relevance? He is alive. Are you silent? Because that doesn't make any sense. Do you believe in the resurrection? Who's the last disciple that you made? Is there tension? Because if he's alive then we're compelled to obey and praise God Almighty our sins are forgiven. But it makes no more sense now than it would have then to believe Christ is risen and then that not be the motivating force of your whole life. Not can I get a more respected position on the council, not can I get more power from Rome, but there is a risen Savior. And the relevance for me is I will listen and love and treasure and exalt him all of my days. Here's also the relevance is the understanding the work of God comes by revelation, not by intuition. I want to say this again because our generation needs to hear this. Understanding who God is and the work he has accomplished comes by revelation, not by intuition. They received the news of what happened by revelation, not intuition, not even women's intuition. Apart from revelation, they would not have figured this out. The reason I want to emphasize this is that some people have the idea that faith is about creating your own reality. You determine and follow your own interpretation. And we hear this 
all the time. Do you ever hear this? Perception is reality. Have you heard that statement? Now, guess what? Reality is actually reality. Or what's your interpretation of what happened here? That's, that's why we're emphasizing the record and the relevance. Do not get that backwards. We're not going to say, here's how I want it to be relevant. So now let me read that back into the record. No. Any more than you'd go around saying, interpretation of, I just, you know, Roy Williams retired this week. If I tell you that Roy Williams won three national championships as a coach at Carolina, and that happened in 2005, 2009, 2017, you wouldn't look at me and say, well, that's just your interpretation of what happened. No, no, it happened. They played the games. They kept the score. It really happened. And so the resurrection is not open to our interpretation. It's God's revelation. Facts are not open to interpretation. So I emphasize this so you can know that you build your faith as a follower of Jesus, not on your own interpretation. They don't get to the empty tomb. The angel gives the announcement and one Mary look at the other Mary and say, well, what does this mean to you? Well, what this means to me, Mary, is that even when life gets tough, I can be optimistic. No, no, no. Here's the relevance. He was dead. He's alive. And he is the king. That's the relevance. The relevance is that respected council doesn't look so respectable anymore. The relevance is mighty Rome doesn't look so mighty anymore. Christ has conquered sin, death, and the grave. And oh, by the way, he's told you, go tell the disciples and Peter, he's going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Question, how will they see him? Not how they interpret they can see him, but they'll see him if they do what he told him, told them to do. You want to know God? You want to know who he really is? Go where he told you to find him. In the scripture, not in your old little feelings, right? No, it's by revelation we know who God is. Not by our feeling about what has happened. So Christian faith rests on God's explanations of God's actions as recorded in the scriptures. We don't go to the scriptures and ask, what does this now mean to me? We go to the scriptures and ask, what does this mean? She will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. The next day, he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. Grace to you, peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God he was wounded for our transgressions crushed for our iniquities this saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost 
All of that is scripture. All of that is revelation. All of that is God's explanation of what God was doing in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. They didn't figure it out. God revealed it to them, and God has revealed it to us. One more emphasis from the record. See what the angel says to them. The the, the record here is that God, God demands a response to the resurrection that requires obedience. That's what it says. Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He has risen. He's not here. See the place where they laid him. But go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. They went out and fled from the tomb. Probably fallen on top of each other, right? Burial spices. I just love the the visual of the burial spices left on the ground. We don't need them anymore. But trembling in astonishment, it seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Well, I want to emphasize what I think the record emphasizes. Go tell his disciples. And one person gets a special mention, right? Go tell his disciples and Peter. Wouldn't it have been enough to say, go tell the disciples? But that's not the message. They're to go back. And specifically go to Peter in particular. Why Peter? You probably already have an inclination as to why Peter, don't you? He needed to hear this and so do you. Because here's the relevance. Some of us are stuck. Just flat out stuck in life because of a mistake we made in the past. Anybody like the game Phase 10? Anybody play Phase 10? I minored in Phase 10 in college. <laughs> I, I mean, hours. You want to talk about hours spent in the dorm lobby. Me and eight other guys playing Phase 10. And I, I like Phase 10, but I also hate Phase 10. Phase 10 is a card game where you have to complete certain phases by getting uh, either runs or sets. Cards in order, one, two, three, four, five, or four sets of, or not four sets, of, or a set of four. And it doesn't matter if you understand the game or not, just the concept is as you play through the game, you often get stuck. Set of five and a set of three, I get stuck there every time. I mean, I'm rolling, I'm winning the game, and then just stuck. And it's so frustrating. And you should say, maybe the next hand, maybe the next hand, maybe the next hand, maybe if I had this card and you just get, you start to get frustrated. And this is a description of some of our lives. You just stuck somewhere. And in Mark 16, Peter is stuck. In fact, John 21, the record of Jesus restoring Peter, you know what Peter's gone back to do? He's gone back fishing. That's how some of us live. Like, like we just think we did something and it's so egregious. Now, let's pause for a moment. You know Peter, right? Mr. I'll never forsake you. Hey, everybody else might flee. But I'm going to hang with you to the end. Even if I have to die with you, I won't desert you. And then the next thing Peter does is he's snoring in the Garden of Gethsemane in the midst of 
Jesus agonizing in prayer. Peter's asleep. And, and, and then everything Peter does, if you go back and read from well, basically all the way up until this moment, is he's always getting it wrong. Jesus, don't wash my feet. If I don't wash your feet, you don't have any part of me. Well, then wash my whole body. Well, no, that's not what I'm talking about either. And, and, and on and on and on, Peter's always wrong. But man, he thinks he's so right. It's back to the biblical diagnosis of our lives is we're the two worst things you can be, ignorant and arrogant. We don't know what we're doing and we're so proud about it. And here's Peter. When his pride finally is crushed and he realizes that he's not as powerful, smart, intelligent, bold, courageous, the leader that he thought he was, he thinks it's over. Three times. Three times. I don't even know him. And the last encounter Jesus has with Peter, remember the rooster starts crowing, and the Bible, Mark's record is that he's invoking a curse. Like he's saying some swear words. Like words you ought not to say. And that's the last moment. And it says Jesus looked at him and Peter wept. But he's a broken man. So I, this is one of these parts where I wish you didn't know what happened so you can feel the tension of the moment. When Peter hears that Jesus is alive, is that good news or not for him? I mean, if you really wrong somebody, it's awful if that person were to die and you feel like you could never make it right. The only thing worse than that is they're alive now and he's coming to get you. I think that's what Peter thinks. It's kind of like a horror movie, honestly. Like, oh no, the morning in the tomb. I don't mean that disrespectfully if I say that. Like, how's he going to treat me after I failed him? This is so important. I want you to hear this. Because some of you, some of us, that's where we're stuck. I blew it. I blew it and it affected not just me. It affected my family. It affected my church. It, and, and I just can't get over it. Wish I could do it again. I wish I had. And that's where Peter is. And friends, that's where all. Please hear me. This is where all of us are. If you really understand yourself in light of God's word, not, not a one of us had our act together. You see, that's who Peter was. That's who he thought he was. You can count on me. And now the angel from heaven has told these ladies, you go tell the disciples. And you especially tell Peter. You can meet Jesus up in Galilee. I do want to highlight this real quick with you too. Let's look at a few verses because this is good. This is good to my soul. Acts chapter 15. Acts chapter 15. I need some of you by faith to believe it ain't over yet. He's not going to leave you stuck. Acts chapter 15, verse 36. After some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let's return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. I mean, the resurrection started something, y'all, right? I mean, church is exploding and people living in gospel power. But Barnabas wanted to take with them 
John called Mark. But Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement. Paul and Barnabas, these great missionary friends, man, these church plant, God-loving, powerful men. And they got a disagreement over this guy named John Mark, this young guy that they took with them to go to the work. And once the going got tough, John Mark got going home. That's how it worked, right? He, it's a heavy word, y'all. One who had withdrawn, dropped out. You ready for it? Quit. Went back to mama's house in Jerusalem. Is it over for him? I mean, Paul, Paul's like, "Uh uh-uh, he ain't coming. It's John Mark. When I said, let's read from the record, do you know who wrote the record? The gospel of Mark. The gospel of Mark. See, God takes broken people. God takes, we blew it people. God takes, I should have stood, but I withdrew people. And he puts them back together. Here's what I want you to see in the record. There isn't but one who never withdrew, never lacked courage. It's Jesus. He's the only one. Everyone else has blown it big time. But when I tell you that Jesus is the only one, what he has done is he's overcome sin, death, and the grave so that you aren't left in that situation. He says, I want to transform it. You know, Peter, in this moment of Mark 16, is in a really vulnerable situation. He'd made big promises he didn't keep, slept when he should have fought, fought when he should have prayed, (laughs) fought in the flesh when he should have fought, walked by the Spirit, then denied even being a follower of Jesus. I mean, his mistakes are specific, and whatever yours are, they feel very specific to you. And in order to go from Jerusalem where they are to Galilee is going to take some doing. I mean, it's a couple days walk to to go there. And Peter knows that Jesus knows all about his denying and cursing of Jesus, right? But here's what Peter needs to know. Peter needs to know all about Jesus not denying or cursing Peter. And here's his question. It's the most important question that there is. When he's there with Peter, he says, Peter, do you love me? Friends, life really is as simple as that. Do you love Jesus? Do you love him? And and Jesus, when Peter says, yes, I love you, he says, feed my sheep. Not if you'll get your act together. I love you, Peter. You see, it starts, Jesus, I love you. Do you love me? And if so, here's the responsibility. He's, he's appointing him to leadership. This is my Pentecostal, Pentecostal preacher right here. Peter, you're going to stand up and you're going to proclaim this. I'm going to fill you with my spirit. I'm not done with you. We're just getting started. Some of you need to receive this by grace and by faith. God is not done with you. You do not have to live bound 
under the sentence of your mistakes. That's what Jesus was doing on the cross. Put it here. I'm going to take it. Your shame, your failure, your didn't show up when you should have, not as bold as you should. Put it right here. I'm going to pay for it. I'm going to die. But this is the glory of the resurrection. Those shames and those mistakes, they don't get the last word. Jesus does. Took it all and I came out alive. When I was growing up, there wasn't anybody like Mike Tyson. Like he couldn't be beat. I mean, they have these boxing matches and it'd go like eight seconds. And you could tell as soon as the other person got in the ring, like they wanted to be out of the ring. Like, I don't want to be here. And he'd take one punch, they're done. Until James Buster Douglas, February 1990. Back then, it took, a, took some hours for the news to catch up. They fought over in Japan and Tokyo. And James Buster Douglas, the first person yet, who stood there and went toe-to-toe and knocked him out. I'll never forget seeing Mike Tyson knocked. Like, he's kind of trying to get up and he couldn't get up. Over and over and over, death wins, death wins, death wins, death wins. And on the cross, it looked like death was going to win again. But guess what? They get to the tomb. Death just got knocked out. And it doesn't look as overpowering as it used to because he has disarmed the rulers and authorities and rolled back the enemy. The relevance of the resurrection comes to bear on everything about your life. One more passage is from 1 Peter. Let's hear from him. How about that? After being restored, after being renewed, after being filled with the Spirit, Peter doesn't become a perfect person by any stretch of the imagination. But I want you to turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5. I love this little part. We're going to read some other verses, but just look at verse 13. She who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings. And so does Mark, my son. How about that? A band of uh, restored brothers. That's what the church is, friends. That's who we are. Those that have been redeemed and restored by the Lord Jesus Christ. Greet one another with the kiss of love. I'll let you find the relevance for that for your life. But... Look at the end. Peace to all who are in Christ Jesus. Now, I want to simply read to you what Peter says here. And I want you to think about what he says in light of what you've seen in the record. This proud man. Look what he says in verse 6. Humble yourselves. You don't have it all together like you think you do. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he might exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him. Can we pause for a moment and consider the anxieties when Jesus is in the tomb that are in Peter? I've blown it. <laughs> My life isn't going to even have any purpose. I, I could never be used again. I mean, just think about all the anxiety. I've let the other disciples down. I've blown it. Cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Now, now I've, I've, I've read that verse a thousand times, and I've never thought until this week about that, that he cares for you, that Peter in John 21, eye to eye for Jesus. And I think that's what he sees. 
He thinks he's going to come face to face with Jesus and it's going to be on. Like, I can't believe he cares for you. And when he sees Jesus, he recognizes it in his face. Wait a minute. Here's the guy I thought was going to destroy me. He cares for me. Now, be sober minded. Be watchful. (laughs) Like I wasn't in the Garden of Gethsemane, right? Your adversary, the devil... Peter had heard from Jesus, Satan has demanded to sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you. Your adversary prowls around, man. He's coming. He's coming. He wants to destroy this church, destroy your family, destroy your life, destroy your testimony. You've got to be watchful, seeking someone to devour. Resist him firm in your faith, not firm in your self-confidence, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the whole world. And after you've suffered for a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ... I can't imagine Peter writes this without joyfully weeping. He will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Because of the resurrection, you too can be alive in the truest sense of the word. Oftentimes in life, we look for life in what should be discarded while discarding what actually leads to life. So as we move toward a time of response, some of us need to discard the deep desire we hold to be respected and honored by the world around us. Some of us need to discard, in some measure, diligence and hard work, but that's not ultimately unto the Lord or enabled by the Lord. And some of us need to discard the notion that God is done with us or we're stuck and can never get out of the sentence of our failures. I'm going to close where we started. Luke 17. Remember? Ten lepers were cleansed. One leper, hear the phrase, turned back. Anybody here today need to turn back? Like you're headed somewhere and you're headed away from the Lord? And you just need to turn back. Here's what the invitation is. Anybody who's ready to turn back, the invitation is to Jesus. That's who you come to. The one who is out of the tomb. You need to turn back to him today. Maybe you drifted. And you can't even articulate how you drifted. It just happened. You need to turn back. Go to where he can be found. Go to where he can be found. Be found in his word. Be found as we gather together as a church family. But here's the invitation. I'm just, going to, I'm just going to read it to you. Here's the invitation. Here's what I'm going to invite you to do. If you've been healed by Jesus, turn back, praise God with a loud voice. He fell at his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Was no one found to return and give praise to God? And he said to him, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. God makes you well. So I'm going to invite you to stand. We're going to pray together.
The invitation is open, however the Spirit might lead you. Pastor Blake's going to lead us in a song. Uh, The two of us have been listening to this song a right good bit this week. And we both just yesterday just came to a moment and said, this would be a good good song for the invitation. It talks about who Jesus is, who he really is. So if you'll bow your heads, and I really quickly want to get out of the way. (laughs) You've seen the record. And by God's grace, I I wanted to be a servant to, to help you understand the relevance. But now it's the Holy Spirit who will use the word of God to lead you to obey God. If you want to come to the front and on your knees, just say, thank you, Jesus. You're welcome to do that. If you want to stay where you are and give him praise, you're welcome to do that. If you've got a particular burden, a concern on your heart, and you want somebody to pray with, I'd be glad to do that. Father, I thank you for Jesus. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the record of the resurrection. And I pray right now in Jesus' name for those of us who are here today and the esteem, the respect of the world, it just means too much to us. Would you help us to see that that needs to be discarded so that the approval of Almighty God upon us in Christ Jesus would be what we long for. If, if some of us are in a place of life where we're just about to be burned out because all of our work, all of our effort, all of our energy in some measure is ultimately unto a dead Jesus, would you redirect us? Would you help us to turn away from that and invest by the enabling of the Holy Spirit? Our lives would be unto the risen King. And if there be anybody here today that's just stuck... see as Peter did that Jesus cares for you in Jesus name